Hi, I'm Anya. And I'm Theo. Thank you for listening to the Youth Climate Justice Forum podcast. We're a youth-led group of climate activists working to collectively create change by empowering and inspiring our peers and our community. In this podcast, we're trying to find ways for all of us to continue to work for climate justice during and after the coronavirus crisis. We've seen a brief restoration of the natural world during this pandemic, as much human industrial activity has ceased. But is there a way we can make this short-term progress last after the pandemic is over? How can we make sure that climate activism is strengthened and not undermined by the current uncertain times? Join us as we interview various talented local leaders and learn what we all can do to help. Today, we're speaking with Representative Carol Emmons from Illinois' 103rd Legislative District. Representative Emmons has dedicated her time and talents to local activist causes in our community for decades, and she's brought her passion for change to represent Champaign-Urbana at a state level. She is a vocal supporter of climate justice and has co-sponsored multiple bills covering issues such as watershed protection, industrial waste, and clean energy jobs. Hi, Representative Emmons. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. We can just jump right in with some questions as soon as you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. So first of all, um, it's been obviously kind of crazy for the past few months, and we were just wondering what it looks like being a representative now during the coronavirus crisis. Like, are you are you still meeting? Are you still in session? What is the state house doing right now? Uh, right now, we are um, we're not in session. Uh, we're we're in recess right now, uh, but we are meeting as um, committees, working groups, more so. Um, and we have working groups almost every day. So we're still taking care of emergency ma- uh, management during this COVID crisis. Uh, we're not passing bills, of course, because we can only do that in, in Springfield. But we are working on bills that need to be addressed, of course, once we return um, during this time. So are most of the bills that you're working on right now to do with the emergency situation or are you still working on previous bills that had been kind of in the works before? Yeah, we're just reviewing some bills that were already in the works. Um, we're not operating um, uh, any kind of legislation right now during the COVID crises while the executive order is in place. Uh, our working groups are working on constituent issues that have arisen as a result of it and making sure that the governor's office and his administration can help uh, constituents in our districts. And so any kind of bills or legislation is really uh, perspective. Right. Um, So kind of talking about bills that are in the works or um, previous legislative changes in Illinois, we we saw that Illinois has joined the US Climate Alliance last year. And we were wondering if the state house played a role in the decision to join the alliance. Well, we have several. Um, we've um, been working on uh, climate legislation for a while, certainly since I've been in the general assembly. Uh, Governor Prisker, when he signed that executive order back in January of 2019, um, he met with us as a general assembly and talked about the importance of the Paris Climate Agreement and our state. Um, really uh, making sure that we were uh, trying to continue to work on climate change legislation. And so uh, I think it's important that the states uh, play a role in that. And if the federal government is not willing to um, participate in the climate agreement or other agreements that need to come as a result of climate change, 
uh, then states have the responsibility to act and respond. Yeah, definitely. So now that Illinois has joined the Climate Alliance, what does that mean for policy changes? Like what can we expect to see in the upcoming years in terms of change? Well, we have legislation right now that we need to continue to pass. We passed the Future Energy Jobs Act, and now we need to uh, pass CJA, which is the Clean Energy Jobs Act, uh, to continue to build on our um, uh, changes in our portfolio when it comes to energy. Uh, that bill was really, really close to us um, passing it before uh, the assembly was uh, put on recess. Uh, hopefully when we get back, we can uh, continue to work on, on the Clean Energy Jobs Act and get it, it actually passed into uh, law. Yeah, and thank you so much for your work on that important bill. It, it's, it's in all of our best interest, that's for sure. Yeah, so... Um... Kind of going off of that, you've been a very vocal supporter of climate protections throughout your entire career as a representative. So why do these issues matter to you? And what do you hope that the state can accomplish regarding climate reform? You know, what we are experiencing, COVID really, uh, I think, highlights uh, even more effectively than anything we could have done as activists, uh, the importance of us looking at our policies when it comes to um, uh, protecting water, protecting air, uh, protecting the soil. Uh, those are things that have really manifested um, the false uh, uh, positions that we've had when it comes to uh, environmental policy. And many people don't believe or didn't believe uh, about the impact of climate change, but we are starting to see it more and more. And COVID has shown us uh, with the changes we've seen in countries around the world of cleaner air and more natural environments growing back where they hadn't been before. Or um, the water is, is the melting of the polar caps are slowing down during this time of COVID. It's, it is remarkable what, um, what we've seen around uh, environmental policy and environmental changes and the clearing of smog over cities as a result of this pandemic. Uh, and we need to take note to that as policymakers and make the necessary changes to Im improve the environment even further. And I, I think that that's something that uh, this time has really taught and shown me, that's for sure. Right. So how do you think the coronavirus crisis will affect how we think about climate policy in the future? <laughs> I think people are taking notice. I've seen, I've personally received, uh, you know, two or three articles from other places, uh, really highlighting some of the things that we've seen: the improvement of of cities and the lessening of smog, where people are experiencing high rates of asthma. Uh, if we want to increase our healthcare uh, system in this country and improve it, uh, we will also be improving our environment at the same time. So I think it will uh, have a, all of these things in every single policy area that we've learned uh, in the last uh, few months, uh, all of these policy areas have to be reevaluated. Mm -hmm. So do you think that climate considerations will be an essential part of legislative reform following the pandemic? Like, do you think that legislators will focus more on environmental issues now that we've seen exactly how changeable and flexible the environment is? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, I don't know if 
if other people have seen the photos uh, that I've witnessed from uh, around the world with animals taking over empty cities because people aren't outside and, and that's their natural habitat, right? We need to look at the, the uh, zoning policies. We need to look at runoff. We need to look at uh, water pollution, air pollution, uh, and we should take it more seriously than maybe uh, we, we may have seen uh, policies in the past. Um, I don't think it can be ignored, though. It cannot be ignored and go back to what they consider normal because it's not normal that people are unable to drink water in their communities because it's full of sediments of different, different sorts. So I, I think we need to build a better uh, environment as a result of this. And I think more, more and more policymakers will absolutely find this to be a critical area of policy improvement. Right. And I really hope that this represents a sort of turning point for the state and for the nation. I do, too. Speaking of those specific issues, uh, I know you were one of the two sponsors of the Coal Ash Pollution Prevention Act that was signed into law last year. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what that act achieves and why you sponsored it? Well, I think the Coal Ash legislation was really it had it had really two purposes. There are many things that it was going to do. But one of the main things was to really validate the residents uh, on the Vermilion County side of the Salt Fork that for many years had been screaming to policymakers that uh, they were experiencing high levels of cancer from what they knew as runoff uh, from the old coal fire plant. Um, and so we began to, to really study that as an issue for about two years before this legislation came to be. And the other thing that is really important on coal ash legislation is that you know, coal companies in many of our communities, certainly central to downstate, uh, have these very old coal plants, coal fire plants. And when they uh, decommission those coal fire plants, in many cases, in many communities, they just leave the old facility and all of the runoff and ash exactly where it is and don't clean up their environmental hazards. This bill was going to force the true polluters who was producing uh, the coal ash to have to clean the coal ash and not the residents of those communities. And so that those are the two main reasons why I, I worked so hard on the coal ash legislation to make sure that it was passed. I know you were also a sponsor of House Bill 4746, which requires yearly inspections of gas companies located above sole source aquifers, like the Muhammad Aquifer. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a bit about why you would say that was important? You know, uh, Muhammad, although it's not in my legislative district, um, we have many people uh, that are in that legislative uh, district that come and work in Champaign-Urbana and are just as much our neighbors as anyone else. And when we learned that uh, people's gas had a, um, a gas leak in one of the wells and in, in, which ended up spreading to many, many neighbors in that community, um, they did not notify the state office, meaning my office, my district office, or my sectorial offices. And we didn't find out until well after the effects. Uh, once we found out about it, uh, it studying that issue was the, um, the legislative result of that study that these gas companies cannot uh, have really significant emergencies like that and kind of keep it quiet and only notify, you know, a small handful of, of regulatory agencies that they must notify the people, the residents, as well as the elected uh, representatives of those districts 
so that people are aware of what is happening and that they also have a cleanup plan in the event that these things take place. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what are some things that people who might be listening to this podcast can do to help support the Clean Energy Jobs Act or any other clean energy and climate change legislation that's pending right now? Well, um, we have, of course, we have to go back to Springfield. So that's the first part. <laughs> yeah. uh, but once we are able to reconvene in its normal uh, session, oh, I guess that wouldn't be normal either because we'll be going during the uh, break session, but we, we will go back to session um, before this is all over. Um, but regardless to where it is, uh, that information, which is already in our um, environmental committee, which I sit on, uh, that information is waiting for some final negotiation points uh, between the environmentalists uh, and the energy companies. Uh, that negotiation hopefully will be completed this year so that we can um, pass CJA into law. Uh, people certainly can uh, write their legislative members in support of the passage of the Clean Energy Jobs Act. And it will also uh, be good for people to know uh, how to make sure that those job training dollars that are uh, embedded in the Clean Energy Job Act actually reaches uh, the communities throughout the state. And certainly for us downstate, we are always pressing to make sure that we have representation uh, of organizations who can provide training for people in our community who would normally not be in uh, these kinds of fields. And so um, that's, I would love to have uh, support letters that I can share from my district. So if people want to do that, uh, they can certainly send their, uh, their support for the Clean Energy Jobs Act. They can send it to my email uh, at my state email, which is just info at staterepcarolammons.com. Yeah, thank you. And then finally, more generally, I know that you personally as well as the Illinois Environmental Council that you're a part of, have spoken about the dangers that climate change can pose to marginalized communities in particular. Could you tell us a bit about how you think pursuing better climate change policy can help us achieve economic and racial justice as well? Well, we certainly need to uh, take into a effect, and, and my own experience here in, in this community in Champaign-Urbana, uh, working on an environmental hazard site that used to be owned by Illinois Power, that lay in the heart of the black community, which is middle to low income wage earners. And in that case, a lot of the people who experience high levels of uh, cancer, high levels of respiratory illnesses in that community, um, th those people are more vulnerable because many of them don't have um, appropriate healthcare that would take care of them in the event that they became ill. And so anytime you have communities like that, where you have Superfund sites or sites that are uh, have not been cleaned up, uh, old coal fire plants, you know, any of things like that uh, in your community, it is essential that people who are uh, very vulnerable to those health risks receive support and help so that we can help them clean up those environments as well as clean up um, some of the other uh, ancillary problems that happen as a result of that. So the, the activism that I do to get involved in some of these issues is a very personal thing because I see communities that are disenfranchised, largely impacted uh, by these old uh, energy plants or 
dry cleaners and things like that, that, that really poisoned the soil and the land around it. Thank you so much for your work in that area. And um, for one final question, we are a group of high school mm -hmm. students and many of us are not yet old enough to vote. <laughs> so sometimes it feels kind of difficult to figure out how we can get involved in climate justice. So how would you, how would you recommend that young people can get involved in these issues? I, I would certainly encourage um, young people to do what you're doing, um, to talk to other people about climate issues, um, talk to, to your own parents, right? Um, talk to your peers as well as talk to legislators. I did not, I didn't come with a wealth of knowledge about all of the impacts of climate. Actually, the, the person who educates me the most about this just turned 18 in my own home and he is studying conservation science. And so he is probably very influential, meaning my son, over what I understand about the polar caps and the climate and the water and the runoff. He's been spending so much time um, learning about these things as well as trying to teach me and, and, and his family about the impact of climate. And so I think that's high school students have a lot of information that you can share with other people, just like you're doing through this radio program. But you could also write legislators and educate us as well, because we are not all knowing or all seeing and your help is much, much appreciated. Yeah, so a big part of the of the puzzle of climate change is really making sure that young people have education about these issues. Yes. So do you think that Illinois has sufficient climate education for high schoolers or young people in general? You know, I really don't know if I can answer that appropriately. I, I can't say for sure if they have appropriate education at the high school level. Uh, I know um, when my children were small, we we did some exposure uh, with their schools around the soil and the importance, but I don't think they really taught a whole lot about climate itself and what our, meaning people's role is in climate. Um, I think it could be improved more, more. I think my son learned all of the important things about the water, the oceans, the air. I think he learned it from his own interest, uh, not necessarily from a class that he may have taken. So I think it can be improved for sure. Yeah, I think it could definitely be improved. Um, so is there anything else that you'd like to share with us today about being a legislator during coronavirus or about how climate change and coronavirus intersect? I would say in closing that um, everything that we thought we understood uh, is being challenged right now during this pandemic. Uh, our frailties are exposed and we have to, I think, stand up and answer the moment. Uh, I think climate change and climate justice is as important to me as economic and racial justice because those are very critical to us having a just society. And so I think this is the moment that we shouldn't turn our faces away and act as if we didn't see that. We need to pay attention to it, respond to the mistakes that we've made and pro provide some new methods of correction so that we're not harming ourselves and we're not harming the country uh, and we're not harming the world. I think that that's important for us to take stock on what has happened 
and respond uh, to what has happened. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for that message. You're welcome. Uh, I wish you all good luck and I hope that you'll continue uh, sharing as much information as you can with all of those in your own circle. Yeah, thank you so much thank for you. talking yeah. with us all today. All right, y'all right, take care. Thank you for listening to the Youth Climate Justice Forum podcast. Tune in on June 12th to hear our next episode.